Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cash That. This is your host, Joe Delera. We are without producer Corey once again because he is shackled to his desk right now. Um, But he did want to leave a message that he misses everyone. I feel like this is like one of those things where like I have like people would think that I have him like kidnapped or something. And I'm just giving like a fake message from producer Corey, but can confirm he is alive. We'll make sure that he tweets or something. So that way, I guess, you know, sign of life. But uh, we do have a very special guest here to talk about game four of the NBA finals. Uh, We got Brandon Anderson here. How you doing, Brandon? I'm good. We are potentially two games away from the end of the NBA season. The fan in me will shed a tear. The fan in me will shed no tears at the vanquishing of the Miami Heat for for many, many months until I have to care about them again. But uh, I got to be honest, the analyst in me is ready for a little bit of a break. So uh, I'm I'm excited. It's It's been a pretty good final. It's been a fun watch so far. And Miami has showed up and and made Denver work for things, but it looks like it's starting to have the direction that we kind of thought it was before the series started. Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of those spots and we'll, we'll kind of get into some of our best bets here uh, right off the top, but we've been wanting to put together more content, right? Put the content out there, like try to give you something to look for or listen to every day. And it's just like, it's tough when you're talking about <laughs> these teams and it's just like, Miami just seems to break everything. Like every single data point that I normally try to rely on, Miami just kind of breaks it. Um, I don't know like if you if you found that to be very frustrating because like I've found it to be frustrating. Like I can't explain it to anyone. I'm just like, Denver is so much better. Like, I don't know how Miami's <laughs> winning. <laughs> so no, I agree. It's it's frustrating as an analyst because the thing that we see a lot of on social media is a lot of just like the yelling all caps shot variance. And like, it's true. It is true that shot variance is a massive part of what's happening with Miami. It's also true that it's not the only thing. And as a reader, as somebody watching the games, just yelling shot variance at me and it's a make or miss league. And we don't know if the threes will fall. Like, I know I watch that. I can see it, but like, Tell me something. Tell me something that I'm actually seeing here. And as a better, give me something predictive. I don't know if the shots are going to fall. Is like what's happening with the shot variance? Is it is it three point volume? Is it that Miami is like beating the numbers in some way that they're running guys off the line? Is it that Miami's three points are regressing positively? Pro- progress, progressing, progressing. I don't know how that works Something. with regression. You know, like. <laughs> Seth Partner has talked about that, that, well, maybe we need to look at the bigger, bigger picture, not just, well, they were 27 and three-point shooting percentage for the regular season. Okay, well, we've seen this team, this core, most of them for a few years. And like, it turns out Duncan Robinson, who shot like 33% for the year is not a 33% shooter, right? Like we know this, we know this about him. So it goes both ways and it goes both ways within the series and within the games, even it's. It's been frustrating doing analysis on this Miami team because we don't know how much to just put on the shot variance thing. And then, like, look, part of the analysis for the Heat is that luck has been involved. Luck has been on Miami's side. That does not mean Miami is only here because of luck. No person is saying that. But somehow Heat betters and Heat fans especially are hearing that. And that's really frustrating too. That's like, no, I can acknowledge to you that so far in the playoffs, 
the Heat played the number one seed Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis Antetokounmpo got hurt. He still played. He played. He missed a game. He really missed most of two games. He still played after that. He played hurt. That's all part of it. Yep. And look, I know. I know the Heat have had their injuries too. I know. I hear all the stuff. Tyler Hero, he's gone. He missed since the first game. Jimmy Butler has been injured. Jason Tatum, he got hurt. The first play, literally the first play of game seven. All those things are factors. The shooting variance and the shooting luck, all the numbers say that there is positive shooting luck. Some amount, we don't know how much, but certainly some. It is still analysis to acknowledge that those things are happening and say that that you know you're running hot basically you're you're at the craps table and you're just like you're I, I don't know I shouldn't have done that analogy because I've never played the craps table. Craps is a great but, game. Like craps yeah, is a great game. You're you're, you're 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 hitting red on a roulette wheel time after time after time, and it's like we can acknowledge that. Can we be fair and acknowledge that we're running hot and getting the right luck and also playing good basketball and fighting hard and defending yeah. well and and heat culture. It's frustrating this team because somehow nobody can do all the things. And then if you leave anything out, then you get accused of being biased or being a hater or whatever. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm think, tired of that. <laughs> I think, right. I think the thing with heat culture, right? Like it's, I think it's corny to a certain degree, but I do think that there's something to it. And I, but I think a lot of that has to do with their coaching, right? Like it's, it's coaching, it's practice, it's precision what Miami is really good at is they won't really beat themselves. Like they'll lose because they're not as talented, but they're not going to lose because they're missing assignments because they're like reading things wrong or like their guys not in the right place or they're not hustling. So those are all things that, you know, kind of narrow the gap a bit. And then you get those 50, 50 chances. And I think that's what Malone was so pissed about it after game two, where it's like, you have guys missing rotations. You have guys having like bad fouls. Like you, can't be fouling guys shooting threes it's just like those are all inexcusable things Miami doesn't really do that the other thing is Miami's process I think is good and the fact that it's and this is a problem though at the same time they don't really like Jimmy has is awesome playoff Jimmy like whatever you hear him in these like conferences he's like I'm not a scorer like it's not what I do like I just play the game like kind of comes to me like whatever bam also not a scorer so you have this team that's inherently unselfish in terms of their offensive side of the ball but that also means that like you don't have like a guy like Jimmy's like the guy but like you don't have a guy that's like uh that's like a Jokic or like a Murray that's just like give me the ball like like I want to I'll score like every time I get the ball like it doesn't matter. So I think that Miami's done as much as they can right now to like kind of get here. But I think you touched on something earlier and I, I want to kind of delve into this because I think it matters moving forward. When we talk about Miami's three point shot selection and the variance and everything, right. It looks like Denver sped them up a little bit in game three. Uh, the pace was up like just a tick, right? Because it was down around like 89. And then now on the series, it's a little bit over 90. So it was closer to like 92 in game three. But from the three-point shooting perspective, you mentioned the shot selection, right? Like in game two, they took 45% of their shots from three and basically made 50% of them, which is insane. But then in game three, we see those numbers drop a bit. So 
they took fewer threes or at least at a lower frequency. And then they also made fewer still at a good clip though. Like they didn't shoot poorly from three. It's just, they just shot like about normal and took less. Was that something Denver was doing that you noticed? Like, what do you, what do you think about that change? Like what disrupted Miami so much? Yeah, I think that was something that Denver was doing. I think it was just kind of Denver's defense adjusting a little bit and getting used to Miami's style of play somewhat. I thought it was interesting. I can't remember if it was MPJ or KCP talked between game two and the three. I think Michael Porter Jr. commented about like, yeah, we would say switch when we thought we were switching and then they would peel out. And like basically that Miami was using Denver's calls against them, that they'd hear Denver spot something called out. And then Miami would do the exact opposite of the thing that they thought was happening. Well, that works. That worked great for a game. And Denver kept losing shooters over and over and over again. Like yeah. Struce was Struce was on the loose and Vincent <laughs> was getting a ton of threes up and Love was jacking threes. It never felt like we got any of that in game two, like, or sorry, game three. It felt like Denver just managed to stay a little more connected And I think part of that was that they kind of solved the communication thing. That's probably like a one game trick that you don't have a chance to adjust to. You know, I I almost think of it like in NFL terms, it's like going to the silent count, right? Which is weird because that was a home game for Denver, but it's like somehow Miami broke into Denver's communication and was like stealing signs. I'm I'm going like all sports analogy all in one here. No, it's perfect though. I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Because they're able to make that adjustment, but like Miami only shot, they shot 32.4% from three uh, in game three, which as we know, like that's just, that's not going to cut it because when it really, when we start looking at them, what Miami is able to do offensively, 103.3 offensive rating in 91 possessions that you're not going to beat Denver doing that. Not happening. And Denver once again had over 120. Yeah. And I think the key too in game three is that Denver, like Denver basically made the game inside the arc. And if they do that, they're going to win the game because we knew before the series, like I, you know, I do the big, the four factors stuff, looking at EFG and the way that points come about, we knew that Miami wanted to crank up the threes and get the variance. And Denver's pretty good at limiting three point attempts. And they hadn't been early in the series, but when it didn't, the reason Miami needed to do that is because Denver is elite at scoring twos. Miami's defense limits twos by volume, but is actually like bottom five and two-point percentage allowed. So that's what we saw in this game. And also Miami takes a lot of twos and isn't really that efficient with them. No, We've known that. Like that's that's what we've seen with Jimmy Butler and with Bam. Uh, Bam Adebayo had another big line, but he was seven of 21 shooting. And like those two had both what felt in real time like very good games. Like, oh, man, Butler is looking good again at the end of the game. And by the way, they got a good whistle, too. They, were, yeah, I think, had 16 free throw attempts. Yeah. And Denver's- at the end of the game, those two had 50 points on 45 shots. Yeah. So, like, that's cut. a win for Denver. You're going to take that out of Miami's offense every time because if you're taking 45 shots as Butler and Bam almost entirely twos, you have capped the ceiling of what your offense can be you've capped the three-point variance thing that they got into in game two. You can't do anymore. And they're saying, look, if you're just going to have Bam and Butler do your thing, we're going to beat that team. We know our offense is going to be better to outscore what, what Bam and Butler can do inside the arc. Yeah, and I think what that did too is it really stressed 
Miami's defense then too, because you're, you're getting shorter shots, which means you're getting the ball. Like Jokic's rebounds went bonkers. So he, you, I think you mentioned off pod, but he had 31 rebounding chances, which by far the most he's had in any game this series. He's been closer to 20 in each of the prior two. Right. So I think that that's fascinating because generally there's a lot of conversation about when in the playoffs with the Warriors offense, right? Like they usually want Draymond or Curry to get the rebound because it's, it kickstarts the offense. Um, with Denver, you want Jokic to have the ball because he puts a lot of pressure on the opposing defenses because he can bring the ball up if he wants to, or, you know, his court vision, he's so good at outlet passes. He can make all these things happen. The ball's moving a little bit faster. And we actually saw, you know, Denver get a couple more possessions here. The pace saw like a slight uptick and, you know, they got into transition more. They got into transition on 17.8% of their plays, which was, uh, which is a significant uptick from the prior games that they've had in the series. So we're seeing that moving, but then also on defense, right? It looks like they Denver has made the decision, which I don't blame them to start spamming the Murray Jokic pick and roll. Yeah. And what do you think? Like who, like, you know, it's, I know we've talked about Murray being like the head of the snake or so to speak, what do you think about that thought process for Denver's offense? Like, is Murray the guy that you really need to keep open in order for this offense to really work properly? I think so, because Jokic is just going to be Jokic, right? Like, he's he's too good for what Miami has to offer against him. He's too good for what anyone has to offer, probably, right? He's just going to do the stuff that he's going to do. You can turn off the assist for a while, but now he's dropping 40 on you. You can get him away for as a scorer, but now he's got 15 assists, like, you can't take away all of Nikola Jokic in the same way that you can't take away all of LeBron James. Like you can pick and choose which part of him you might get to focus on. But I think the story, like Jokic is going to win finals MVP. If the Nuggets win, like yeah. that is, is a fait accompli. It's going to happen and he will deserve it. He is their best and most valuable player. But I think when we look back at the season and at the playoffs, the accurate representation of so what changed? Why did Denver make the leap? Why are they in the finals and potentially winning it? It's not because of Jokic making a leap. Jokic has been this good in the playoffs. He's been this good like the entire time. The difference is Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray, and like get out of here with Bubble Murray. This is not Bubble Murray anymore. We have way too much of a sample in this playoffs and that playoffs in the bubble and January, February. I'm a little bummed. I noticed uh, there was like a a month-long stretch right before the All-Star break. Murray ended up getting hurt, went into the break, and then was never quite the same after that. And we know Denver kind of tanked down the stretch. But there was this like month-long stretch where Jamal Murray had like a five and a half box plus minus and basically played like he is right now. Played like a genuine second star, like above All-Star level. And that was the time when Denver's defense suddenly was like seventh best instead of around league average. Yeah. And of course their offense was number one in rolling and they pulled away in the standings. Like they pulled away. They pulled away so much that it was done. And then they took their foot off the gas and Murray never really pushed to that level again. And so I think a lot of us kind of at least somewhat went off the scent of Denver. I still was on them, but not as much as I wanted to be because they weren't as good as they had looked in that stretch. But to me, Looking back on the season, like even I did the article at Action Network about 
who are the teams, who are the you know finals debut teams that the Nuggets look like. And one of the options was the 91 Bulls. That was Chicago's first time in the finals. And it sounds ludicrous to make the comparison, but like Michael Jordan is not the reason the Bulls suddenly won the finals that year. Michael Jordan was already Michael Jordan in all the previous years and already been awesome. Scottie Pippen made the leap. Horace Grant made the leap. Like if you look at the numbers and the BPMs and warps and schwarps, like those are the two guys that made the jumps. And I think with Jamal Murray, like look at the three finals games. We had Denver look awesome for the first half of game one and then kind of tiptoe to the finish line. Yeah. They they weren't good in game two. They're great again in game three. Well, that is precisely mirrored to Jamal Murray for the series. He was awesome in the first half. Then they switched, they put Butler on him and he kind of silenced the second half and didn't ever get going well in game two. And then they got him loose. I thought he was getting into his offense a little more quickly. Uh, I'm trying to think who I think Mike Prada talked about screen angles. I can't honestly tell you I'm an expert at screen (laughs) angles, so I'm just going to go off of his expertise at it. But just Nikola Jokic changing screen angles, getting Murray, I think, downhill like yeah. he was in the he was living in the paint. He could have like built a home. He was there so often. Yeah. And I think just getting him going so much is is death for Miami. It, it, he was, you could argue, I think fairly, that he was the second best player on the court in that yeah. game for game three. Yeah. And I think we already know who number one is. And if Jamal is number two, we're done. Yeah, I think that that's totally reasonable because I think that number two was like, depending on what version of Murray showed up, like you were having that debate, I think, no matter what, right? So what I think was interesting about what you said, though, is how they kind of got Murray going. And one of the things that I think is interesting is that Murray's obviously had 10 assists in each game so far this series. Um, and his they keep moving his assist line up. It's seven and a half again, uh, or now for game four. Uh, he only had 16 potentials in game three, which is actually like a little bit of a downturn from he would, he had been basically at 20 back-to-back games. Do you think that that's a little bit more of the fact that he's just a weapon on offense right now? Or like, do you think that there's going to be any type of regression or is it just like the seven and a half is just not high enough? It's still like, okay, because of what Jokic does in the pick and roll. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're right to be moving it up, but seven and a half, I still have to go over on it. I gave that out on buckets as a play, and I think that the number based on what he's doing probably should be nine and a half. Look, he's had double-digit assists in all three games of the series so far, and the math is potential assists, 17, 21, and 16 per game. So 16 was his lowest. He's converting about 59%, and we texted about this. You showed me some some fancy NBA.com stats. I don't even know we're out here. Jamal Murray is actually getting unlucky on his assists so far. Like he's, he's hitting our, our, uh, our three letter guys, KCP and MPJ He's hitting them for open threes that they're missing. Yep. His conversion rate on a potential assist is actually low. So he should be getting more assists, but even at that conversion rate, 59% for the playoffs. And that's about where he's at for the season he basically should be averaging about nine and a half or 10, which is what he's at for the series right now. So I think the number still is too low. And it's, it's just, it's a thing where it's a new series and you can only adjust so much and so quickly as the book, yeah. as, as the way this is going. But like we've been betting and talking about the series leader part of this. And he was, you know, our guy, Jim Turvey, 
We, you oh, and I had Jimmy Butler crazy, to lead, to lead the series bet. and assess. Yeah. We, we were wrong. One of the books doesn't even have Butler as an option for this any, anymore. No, like it's, 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 cooked. it's not happening it's cooked. for him. <laughs> but Murray was 42 to one before the series. Jim was on that. I have since played. I played before I game played three at, at, at one, uh, yeah. eight to one, I believe. It's still right now at, uh, it still is plus 300 that you can play. And he's led in two of the three games. He's led potentials in all three games. It just is a serious thing. It's the way it's happening. And I think in a weird way, it's sort of matchup proof to what they do because even as they like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) well, because yeah, he's not coming out. And like, if they blitz him to get the ball out of his hands, he's dumping the ball off to the greatest player on the planet. Who's just like tosses the ball up toward the rim. And like, my God, if there was some way that I knew if we found out afterward, like Tom Brady used to like deflate the, the footballs during the game. If we found out Jokic was like magically deflating the ball right when he shot it. So it just kind of like rolls just, like, in lands on the rim and rolls in like that dude has the most amazing touch I've ever seen. Never on seen anything like floater it. shots. Never, never seen anything but, like but, it. but Murray gets assists on all of those. So yeah. it's like, it's freebies. So yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, I think that the line's too low. I think that, at this point, like, cause I, I already bought in at like eight to one. I know you did too. I don't know if I buy in at the three to one though. Like when his, cause you can bet 10 at basically plus 300. So that I think it takes out like sure. a little bit of the variance. Right. So like, I, I get what you're getting at. Cause I think that, cause Jokic's potentials have definitely been down and he just converts at the most ridiculous rate I've ever seen. He's converting at like a, almost a 70% clip. Um, but Murray's now led in potential assists every game. So if this isn't like super surprising, I think that given the line at seven and a half, I do, I feel like I'd rather just like bet that or like come in at a higher alt and just say like, look, like this is how it's going to go because I don't want to like leave too much on the table there. But I do think that one of the things that I thought was crazy was Denver only took 20% of their shots from three in game three. And I think that's because they're spamming this pick and roll. And what it's doing is like, it's really collapsing Miami's defense in like a weird way because they don't have any size. So like you have these guys cutting in and like, nobody can stop anybody. Right. Like, like the Aaron Gordon went down on, it was granted as a fast break. Everybody just cleared out. Like they were like, I am not getting in front of this train. And I think that that's interesting with even the cutting, the passing, everything. Denver is just taller, bigger, faster, pretty much than everybody that Miami's putting out on the floor. Do you think that that's maybe a sign to not bet Denver threes, like three-point props, or maybe look at some three-point unders in game four? I think so. I would exclude Jokic from that because yeah. we started to see them, you know, like exclude Jokic from all unders forever is probably <laughs> just like a good rule of thumb. But I actually like Jokic threes overs just because we saw, especially in the second quarter, uh, Miami started to kind of trap and blitz Murray to try to get the ball out of his hands. Personally, I think that is the most ludicrous strategy. Like, Insane, oh, yeah. okay. So let's do the math five on five. We got Murray up here in your half court and two Miami guys that leaves four on three in the old Draymond dump off. Guess who's playing the Draymond role? It's Nikola Jokic. He has the ball now. And like, I noticed in the second half, Murray started to kind of shift toward one of the sides. Yeah. And as that was happening, then instead of Jokic getting the ball right in the middle where like he he's 
not super athletic. He's not just going to like run right through guys and dunk, but he'd be like catching it as like a wing three. And then he'd have an open shot right there that he took a couple times. Uh, I, I believe you talked about the three point percentage or the, the attempt rate. I think Denver had one three pointer the entire second half. He really one didn't make. And it was yeah. Jokic that made it because it was yeah. on one of those dump offs from Murray. That's another Murray assist, by the way. So, yeah, I, I think that Denver is saying, like, oh, Miami, you want to do variance? We're going to take away your variance. We're going to try to cut down your threes. And guess what? Let's take away our variance, too, because we make every two that we want. Yeah. We're just going to get to the rim, get in the paint. We can get what we want. And, like, my, I, I believe Denver shot 58% on twos. Watching live, I I was like texting Matt Moore. I was like, how does Miami make every team miss every layup? Like MPJ missed a couple of bunnies. Aaron yeah. Gordon missed a few. Like Denver almost felt like they shot below expectation in the paint from the looks that they were getting. And it's like, okay, who needs variance? Why am I going to shoot threes if I can just shoot at the rim with no rim protection every time? Yeah. Like that's going to be like a, a 1.2 to 1.5 expect, expected shot. So I think that Denver just keeps going that way. And uh, I don't want the threes. Like that's, we've talked about the threes leaders. And that's why I'm like, you know, peeking toward the Miami guys at this point. Yeah. I think that that's a fair way to look at it, especially because we've now seen in three games, Denver has. They, they aren't stopping what like whatever Denver wants to do offensively, they can change it. Miami can change their scheme. They're just not slowing them down at all. Um, they're, they're literally slowing them down in terms of the pace, <laughs> but that's it. Like if, if we extrapolate another 10 possessions here, like you're just looking at Denver putting up bonkers numbers in a finals game where people are like, Oh, we need to bet the under, we need to do this. We need to do that. When you're looking at game four, I know the total, the totals in this series seem to keep coming down um, despite, you know, what Denver's doing offensively. What do you think about this game from like a total perspective or a side perspective? How are you looking to bet? Um, how are you looking to bet on this game where Denver's already moved? They, they opened again at three, which is where it closed in game three. And then it's kind of got bet to minus three and a half. And then the total is down from an opener of 211 to 210 and a half. So not a ton of movement, but it did close at 213 last game and obviously went under uh, because Miami just wasn't scoring. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Denver in the in the spot. I feel like Denver has shown so far in the playoffs that they kind of, they, as Jay Money says on buckets, they tend to get fat and happy a little bit. They get a little overconfident and take their foot off the gas. But then once they respond to that kind of counterpunch from a team, once they solve teams offensively, it's just been lights out. Like yeah. I think of the, the Phoenix series when game five, it's 2-2, it's back in Denver. And that was the big hammer spot for both of us that we were on Denver in game five. But then game six was the same thing. I was like, no, no, we're, we're done here. We have solved, we figured out that we can just beat you offensively and you don't have answers for this way. So it seems like that's what we may have witnessed happening here in game three. And we may have reached the we're done here stage, but I want to give Miami, uh, I don't even want to, I have to give Miami some credit because <laughs> of all the voodoo magic we talked about. And like, I, I just don't know if Miami's going to make their shots. I'm sorry. Yeah. I hate to come back to that, but I don't want my money anymore on is Miami going to get their threes and hit a bunch of them. So I looked at 
Denver to win by a small margin. You can do like a Denver to win by a one to 10 points plus 175. You don't like that one as much. And fair, Denver has won by more than that, both of their wins. So I, I get it. Um, it feels like this is like Custer's last stand for, for the Heat. Like they've got to just empty the tank. You can't go down 3-1. So I like it for that perspective, maybe. But the play that I'm going to make at the end of the day kind of combines both of the things you talked about. The total is dropping so low now that Nuggets team total is 106 and a half. And if you can give me a bet to just get the Denver Nuggets to score a 107, I'm good. I'm just going to take the, the over 106 and a half. We got multiple outs here. Obviously, if Denver's offense is just cooking, then they win. That's an easy win, 107 and more. They can go. They've actually gone over this number in all four of their losses in the postseason. So even when they're losing, it hasn't been because the offense just didn't show because it doesn't happen because they have Nikola Jokic. So that 106 and a half is just so low for them in the playoffs. They're over that number 16 out of 18 games in the it's regular season. Uh, when, yeah, it's 89% in the regular season when Jokic played 87%. It's just like, think of Denver games for the season. And how often can you imagine this team like barely cracking a hundred points? It's just not a thing you can do. And look, I know it's slow, but it's already slow. Like it, it can't really get any slower. We've reached the nadir of slowness and it's short rest. So short rest means sloppy play. It means more turnovers in all likelihood. Miami had four turnovers. So add in three turnovers and layups on the other end. Well, that's six points that Denver just got. Add in some sloppy transition defense where Jokic gets a long pass down for an easy bucket. Like I just see Denver scoring here and maybe Miami scores too. I'm, I'm tired of guessing whether Miami finds their points that game or not. But I think to me, that's probably my just best bet overall for game four is just Nuggets team total over 106 and a half. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what they're averaging. It's interesting because like if you take their offensive rating and then like essentially divide it by like the pace, you're they're basically at 106.6 during this series. So I think that the thing that you brought up about the rest is significant and especially the fact that like Denver's pace, like they want to push. If you're going to take this Miami team that's now played you know, they just came off a seven game series. They haven't had a lot of rest. And then now, like, obviously they're home. So, you know, like you can go sleep in your own bed, but there is a lot of pressure on Miami. I will tell you that. Cause like you, I think, I think anybody, like, I think anybody that's watching the series knows this series, if Miami loses game four and this series goes to Denver for game five, Denver up three, one, it's not going back to Miami. Like that's it's cooked. Like that's it because you're just not going to go back to Denver in that type of spot, in that type of atmosphere, down 3-1 and start a comeback. Like, that's just not what this Miami Heat team is really built to do. Like, the variance is great if you have a lead, if you, you know, or like if you're trying to make a comeback in terms of like an individual game spot, very, very tough then to go and say like, all right, well, we have a game, like a real game plan to stop this when Denver is cutting into that game plan and forcing you off the three-point line. So I think that that, I like, I like that bet for Denver. I think it's better than laying the three. I, like there's something about the three, three and a half. I don't really, I don't love it. Um, it's, yeah. it's just seen like, it feels like a, I don't know. Like it just feels like a weird spot. Uh, granted, like right. I know the teams cover, but. Yeah. It's sorry. sorry I didn't no, no, interrupt it. it feels like 
like it still is the Nuggets finals debut, right? It there it feels like it feels like we're not totally cooked on the series. Like they're gonna have one more hurdle at least, as resilient as Miami has been. It feels like we're gonna need Denver to actually close out a game in the fourth quarter and get a tight win at some point. Yeah. yeah. And this I, feels like the spot that it would happen. Yeah. I think like if you're thinking that. Because I see a lot of people betting Miami based on this, but they're like, oh, this is a good spot. Like, they're, it's a last stand. Like, you have to win. I think, and like, you can get the money line. It's like plus 135, plus 140. Honestly, like, I, I would rather bet plus two and a half games because you're getting it like minus 110. I know that I don't really think they have a chance in Denver, but I think at least you're getting like two cracks at like either your sh- shooting variance. Or at Denver, I mean, like, look, I know that the line in Denver is going to be inflated, but you're never going to, you're, you're getting two chances and one of them's at home. So if that's like really what your analysis is, I think I might rather take that just based on the fact that like, maybe that's, maybe that's how this goes. And maybe this does go six, but I don't, I don't really see it, but I think that maybe that is a way to look at it in like a different way say like, all right, well, I need them to win one of the next two. And like they're, they rely so heavily on a highly variant shot that it's hard to pick them in one game or the other. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't honestly mind that play. Obviously it's very clear. I like Denver in the series at this point, but I have nuggets in five. I have at 44%. So that is the most likely outcome now. Like that is nearly half of all outcomes at this point, getting that game three super flipped it in that direction. But that still means that the most likely scenario is not Nuggets to win the next two games and be done. 56% that Miami gets one more win. And I like I like the idea here that if you're in that, if you're if you just are like, yeah, but look. Miami keeps coming back. They, they, they're the zombie heat. They won't die. They keep fighting. And I think, honestly, if ever there's a team that's going to fly to Denver down 3-1 and be like, no, screw that. We do want to bring the series back home. Yeah. It's the heat. Like, this is the team that would do it. And that's the fat and happy Nuggets at home that think that they're going to go get just like an easy coronation celebration. Miami is absolutely the team they would show up and punch you in the mouth and drag this series kicking and screaming to game six or even game seven. They're the team that would do that. So I don't mind at all. If you want to play, you know, again, 56% to me that the heat win at least one more game here. So I think that's something like a minus 120, 125, somewhere in that range. So I, I, I don't mind that if, if you feel like you want to bet on heat resilience and a shot variance, even the elevation in Denver is a bit offset by the fact that when Miami does get their shots up, their threes, it's introducing more variance that way. And I think it's making home court a little bit less relevant in that direction. Yeah. So I don't mind it. I don't, I don't think that's where we're headed. If I just had to be the old school analyst and make a pick, I'm going to stick with what I did before the series and say Nuggets in five. That's what yeah. I think will happen. Me but too. it won't surprise me at all if Miami takes one more week of my life and we're we're still getting to game six and game seven before this thing wraps up. 
All right. Yeah. I think we're both on the same page. Like I think, I think Denver wins. I think they cover, I think they probably take care of business at home and I'm sure the number is going to be ridiculous if they win this game. Like the number we might actually see maybe like a 10 and yeah, then at that point, close. and then at that point, like maybe you look at Miami, but like, eh, it's still like not really, that's not fun. I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. No, I think if I'm being, if I had to guess if Denver wins this game, barring like anything injuries or anything too crazy, I'm going to guess that a 3-1 game, probably my numbers will suggest the value is on Miami, but I probably will end up doing like the, the classic Brandon play and going with like a minus 15, minus, 20. minus 25. <laughs> What's the yeah. highest? Like, just give me the coronation of party numbers and let's see if we get there. Yeah. I, I As resilient as Miami has been, I can't blame them at all. If you go back to Denver and you're just like, all right, let's shake hands. We We tried. Y'all are the better team. You got Jokic. You got us. You're not Boston. Okay. Yeah. You're not going to choke this one away. Like, I, I can't blame. We got one. Yeah, we, like yeah, we got we, one. Yeah. yeah, we got one. We didn't get swept in the finals. We did better than LeBron's team. Got to throw right. that in on Joe's pod. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I can't blame if we get there. I probably look for just some alternate line coordination celebrations, but I'd probably lose money if it happens, too. Yeah, I, I think it's just one of those things. Before we, before we get to pods and recs, I did have one last thing for you because I know you, you always bet a lot of futures. I bet a lot of futures. And there's always the conversation about hedging, right? So like we put in a lot of pre-series bets on like various props, like different things, right? Or, or, or like series props, like Denver minus two and a half, like at like pretty good numbers, right? So my question to you is when you look at this spot, right? In the series, I think it's, I think it's too hard to hedge right now because you at a minimum know there's two more games left especially for some of these bets that are like for someone to for somebody to do something in every game or to do something in like to, or to average this because there's too many more variables here. Do you think it's too early or do you think that you'd rather like, and wait, you'd rather wait until there's like an elimination game situation, or do you think that there's certain opportunities to start buying into hedging things now? Or are you just like, look, I know I got a great number. I know I got a great bet. I think I just need to sit on this one right now because I have a lot of, I have too many moving pieces to be worried about like hedging, like every single bet right now. Yeah. I think for me, it's, it's typically more of the latter. I, I think I want to get my money in at a ticket I feel good about, and I'm probably going to write it out most of the time. Yeah. Like I, I think if it's a ticket that I am hedging, it's probably one that I bet to hedge in the first place. And I don't do that a lot, but there are times where I should do it more. Like, for example, I have a bunch of West Denver to win the West tickets that I cashed already. I don't have very many Denver to win the championship. That's because during the season, I was big on Denver. I did not like the West, but I thought the East was going to win. Like I have articles up saying bet the East blind to win the finals. I thought I liked Denver to lose to Boston or Philly or Milwaukee, none of which they faced here. Um, And I think the lesson there is go ahead and buy that championship ticket. And then if you still didn't like it, if you knew you didn't like it at the time, but you bought the ticket right before to get there, okay, treat the second one as your hedge opportunity now. And if it is Denver against Boston or whatever, then go for the hedge. I don't want to be hedging my bet on... Like on buckets on May 10th, I gave out 
the one exact outcome bet that I made for the entire year. Eat your heart out, Matt Moore. <laughs> Denver over Miami, 16 to 1. Honestly, I hate those bets. I just was feeling feisty that way. And it was a plus juice day. So I went yeah. for it. I don't want to hedge that bet right now. Like, I'm in a winning position. I have the Nuggets 88.7% to win the series by my math right now. I am expected to win my bet eight out of nine times. Why do I want to give some money away from that, that I'm probably going to win anyways? And I think the math changes if like, like depends on how much that you've invested. If we get to game four and the Nuggets win again, and now the Heat go to like, I don't yeah. even know what they get to in the oh, series. It, probably pre-playoff number, like 125 to one. Yeah, like, like a ridiculous like, number. Honestly. Like, okay, sure. You can hedge now and lock in a profit. Or don't forget too, you don't have to do the hedge to meet in the middle outcome. Like yeah. you could hedge, okay, I bet a hundred bucks at the 16 to one to get nuggets over heat. If that's you, that's fine. You can hedge enough to cover the hundred. So now yeah. you have a free roll on the rest of the bet or enough to guarantee you've made $250 lock in a little bit of profit. Like yeah. there are middle grounds here. And honestly, with that type of bet, if Denver's up three, one, you could just bet heat money line. Cause it's going to be an outrageous number anyway. So then like you could still True. win both. You could still win both. Like if you're, if your thought process was let me cover my basis, you could just put like, if you put a unit on the original bet, put another unit on that bet and be like, all right, like yeah. worst case scenario, I'm up 15, like, you right. know, like, so. Like, yeah, I just, no. I think in general with hedging, like just my theory on betting in general is make the bet that's good at the time, period. Yeah. That's it. If you just stick with bet the number that is in your favor, then you're going to lose a bunch of bets. I play a ton of long shots. I have a losing record on the Action Network app. My, my record is below 50%. And so I every now and then get the trolls jumping to mention, they're like, ah, 41% this month. What are you doing? You should get fired from your job. I'm like the goal is not to win a number of bets. The goal is to make money. And if we bet enough times at the right value and the right CLV, and you're getting the right tickets in, you're going to lose a lot of the Denver yeah. over Miami 16 to one bets. I should have lost it. I probably should have hedged out of it when Miami was up 3-0. I still think Miami should have lost the series to Boston and then the ticket's just gone now and I lose my one thing. But if you could do enough of those and if you're right that there's value on it, you can afford to lose a bunch along the way because you're getting the value when they do hit. But if you hedge out of the few that do hit, you're giving back the value that you needed to cover the losers along yeah. the way too. So I think you got to decide. And for me, I mostly decide to just play it out I'll talk about the hedge on social media or, or sometimes put one in very small on the app just because I want to give people following their option of like, here's how you can do it. Yeah. Or, you know what we had, you and I had the Washington Wizards over oh, under thing at the end of the season. Yeah, where there but was again, a middle. Yeah, we, we middled it. And that was one where we knew from the start, the goal here is to middle and to try to get out and cash something in. So if you make a bet knowing that, that you're going to do that. And that was like a 10 unit play too. So I don't, I don't want to be stranded on an Island with wizards against rockets game 82 of the season, <laughs> waiting for an outcome, not in my favor with 10 units. Like yeah, no. I'm, I'm, I'm in the wind on this. I don't need that. I'm not in the wind on Denver, Miami. Like I, I am in a winning position. I don't need to give profits away. Yeah. I think that's a great way to frame it. And it's just like, I think that a lot of it too comes down to like, 
look, if you know that you can lock in a win and it's going to, the money is maybe going to like really impact your life, then like, yeah, like maybe you should try to take that win and like just, you know, in that situation. But if the most part, like if you're, if you're bankroll, like I know sometimes with futures, like you can wind up with tickets that are just like preposterous. Right. And like, you're just like, oh, like I would never be gambling with like this much money. Like if you put, I'm trying to think of an example, but like if you put like a $5 bet down, cause you have $5 units and your, your expected win is $10,000, then like, maybe that's worth hedging for you because like, that's you're that's like way out of, you're like, you're out in like open ocean right there. You're just like, look, like I, this is not where I'm betting. Like, this is like way out of my line. Um, I want to try to yeah. lock something in, but like, if you're betting like a hundred dollars or like $200 on a bet and your expected winning is like a thousand, like, yeah, like it's, it's a significant amount of money and I'm not like trying to unit shame or like do anything like that. But like, I think then it goes a lot closer to what you're talking about. And it's like, look, like if that, if a thousand dollars is 10 units to you, or it's like five units or a unit, like you need to use that in your assessment of like, how am I going to hedge these to like properly manage my bankroll? Like you shouldn't be like, unless you have like a specific strategy where you're like this bet, like you mentioned before, this bet is hedgeable for X, Y, and Z reasons. And I know that I'm going to get good value here so I can get good value later. You should like, if you, if you're going into a bet with the intention of doing that, great. If you're going into a bet and you're like, I love this play. And then like all of a sudden later, you're just like, ah, like, I, like, unless you have like a real reason why you're yeah. changing your mind, don't get the cold feet because yeah. you're just leaving value on the table. That's what I was going to say. hundred percent cold feet is not the reason to hedge. Don't make a bet that you don't believe in unless you have a plan for it later on, but just panicking because suddenly you're like, like the hundred dollar bet on the Denver over Miami scenario. If suddenly you're looking out there and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm two, two wins away from $1,700. That would be like, I, I can go like pay off my car bill for the month, right? Like if that's yeah. a big thing to you, great. Like you've, you've made a bet that you liked, you're feeling like the, the huge amount of money on it right now, but like you can't back out because of cold feet and the pressure of like, we, we do the thing. I think it's called the endowment effect where you're looking at it and you're like, ah, I feel like I already won that $1,700. Now I'm going to get that whole thing back to me. Yeah. I can't risk losing it. And so then you panic and lose some of it to not risk losing it, which is like the exact opposite thing you should be doing. A, a lot of books now offer cash out value. And so I think a good way to think about like, cause some people will just cash out the bet. So maybe which, again, yeah. the, the $100, just to stick with the example, like the $100 Denver Ramam you bet, Let's say you have that. And right now your book is offering you, I don't know what it's going to be like, let, let's say $600 to cash out. Yeah. And you just walk away right now. And of course, you're not going to get as much value like EV is what your ticket should be. Books aren't stupid. Like, they know what they're trying to do here. So here's an easy, easy way to think about it. If, you, if cash out is your hedging option, look at the amount. If you, in this bet, if you would take the $600 Pretend like you took that $600 and immediately went back to the book and you could bet $600 to return $1,700 on Denver winning the series. Because you could do that. Like in theory, that's the thing. That's the choice that you're making. Would you bet your $600 to win $1,700? I would do that bet because my number is say, like run to the counter and make that bet and get your money back on Denver. And if you would do the bet, 
then don't take the cash out because you're under you're 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 undercutting your own value on it. So yeah. I think like that's a good way to think about um and, and you know you've talked before about getting a future like that play it in multiple tickets so you can maybe yeah. cash one of them out and let the other one ride. But I think just doing that simple math formula, what's the cash out amount? And would I bet that amount to win the full ticket? If I like that bet still, then don't take the cash out. Just keep letting it go because you've already got the odds in your favor. Yeah. And I think the books know too, like when they offer you that cash out, it's generally less than whatever it like should be, right? Like even if you did like the odds like directly. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that people are cash poor because like all legal books, it's not credit. Like you have to front the money. So they know like if you're in line to win, like, ten thousand dollars on a five dollar bet you probably don't have another fucking like eight thousand dollars to hedge this properly like right. it's it's hard to have that type of liquidity depending on what your bankroll is right like so it makes it much more difficult so i think that's why like i've recommended that before um in terms of like how you should hedge but that's another reason why the books kind of have it stacked against you in a way where it's nice that they all that you have the ability to cash it out but also understand that the cash out is a business decision from their perspective as well like they want you to cash it out generally because they're just like well like we don't need that fucking liability right now like we'll give you we'll give you like pennies on the dollar it's like the great depression over here <laughs> yeah no and i think too just to clarify uh because i i know a lot of your followers love your lottery tickets that you, oh, you come yeah. up with like the the three triple double nights or you know the, the various different lottery tickets I, I know i think a lot of people look at what i play and call it lottery tickets I feel like I'm kind of in the middle here. Like I'll play a 16 to one or 40 to one. I don't have many tickets I play where I'm at like 20,000 to one or something where it's like, like you'll, you'll see these online where it's like, Oh, bet the last four championship teams. And now I have Denver should I hedge out. And it's like, yeah, $5 to win like 49,000 or something. Yeah, That's not what I'm responding to. Like that's a different situation. Yeah. That's and so different. <laughs> like locking in, locking in your like 20K out of your nothing bet that you made is a completely different scenario than, but again, it's maybe not for a different better. Like, I don't know why that better only bet $5. If 20K doesn't matter to them, why did you only bet $5 to start with? Yeah. But like, what do do your own math. And if it's an amount of money that like is going to change your life right now in a way that you just need to get that money, great. Like get get that cash and, and lock in what you need. But to me... I don't have like crazy long lottery tickets where I was trying to get out of it in the first place, more kind of just these futures in between on one thing. Um, and I, I'm probably not doing a, a lot of futures parlays like this. So <laughs> I love this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like no, no slander, man. Like no. we, all, we all can all play the lottery. Like it's fun sometimes just to have a good ticket out there. I mean, look, I'll be honest. I did the Denver over Miami bet just because I was like on a heater that day and it was a plus money day. And I was just like, this looks good. I was like, I kind of think Miami beats New York and I kind of like Boston less than I did before. So I think Miami would actually be live against Boston. I think that number will be bad. Now Miami's in the finals, but if they're in the finals, I like Denver to make the finals. And if that's the finals, I know who I like in the finals. So it was going to be just like a Miami to win the East bet. And that was just the logic way forward of, of taking it. And I just took a lottery ticket. No shame in that. Sometimes no. your lottery ticket hits. So I think the hedging question is always in play. It's just, it's never a black and white thing. You've got never, to kind of yeah. think through think through where you're at and what you're trying to accomplish by doing this. 
And that helps me kind of figure out the answer usually. Yeah, that's the, I think that that's the biggest thing, like just looking at it from a holistic perspective. So with uh, with that responsible gambling uh, type of tip over here, um, Brandon, do you have we're going to transition to pods and recs. Do you have anything to recommend for the listeners? I know you're a big show guy, uh, so I don't know if you have a show. I don't know if you have something that you're eating lately, but what are we what are we thinking about here? <laughs> I mean, I also have something I'm eating lately. That's for sure. I, I recommend I recommend that you heat nuggets when you're watching the NBA finals. The Denver Nuggets are now 2-0 when I heat nuggets during a game. So there's your last stat for the day. I'll give you a show. Uh, if you're a Comcast subscriber, we get the free week of stars right now. So I'm catching up on, I think it just came out in the last few months, but Party Down had a new season finally after like a decade away. Are we having fun yet? Adam Scott, just just like a brilliant cast, a couple of new additions that I think were really good. It's only six new episodes, half an hour. It's like sit down for an evening and three hours and you're out. Just a fun show, good actors. You'll enjoy yourself. And if you haven't watched the first couple of seasons, like go back and watch those as well. This is a very funny show on stars. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of actors, a lot of self-deprecating humor. They're working at a catering company, all trying to get by in life. And yeah, I had a fun time with it. So party down the new season, watch the whole thing if you haven't yet. That sounds pretty solid. I'm going to leave a recommendation. So my, uh, I don't even know if this is a, I don't even know if this is a recommendation, but this is uh so my fiance, she's on her bachelorette party right now. She's in Miami. She's, I was like, I was jealous. Cause I was like, Oh, you're gonna get to watch the heat lose. Um, but if you've ever, if you've ever made some money off of me and you want to, and you feel a little bit generous, I'm going to recommend donating to her Venmo to get her a drink. Um, and that could be a way that you can, that can be a way that you guys can support me. Her Venmo is at Jenna, J E N N A dash Schaefer S C H A F F E R dash two. I'll probably tweet it out or something like that, but, uh, I think she, uh, she'd really appreciate it. You know, she came on, she gave out a couple winners too. So I think that, That's you know, true. You, so the people know, are clamoring for more, Joe. Exactly. If, if so. you if you got a winner off of Jenna's picks, I think you all heard this drink in Miami. That's so what I'm saying. We're on South Beach. You gotta have a little fun this weekend. <laughs> so I'm gonna recommend that, and I'm gonna recommend uh, I'm gonna recommend the Tequila High Noons. I, I enjoyed them. I thought they were pretty good. So I know uh, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more of a summer thing. And uh, I, like I like to try. I'm a bourbon guy, but I like to transition a little bit to tequila in the summer. So you know, we'll keep it spicy. We'll heat up those nugs and we'll have a nice drink poolside on you guys. And with that, let's cash that.